Venture into one of the fastest growing businesses on earth right now on Cannabis Economy. Converging with the brightest and best cannabis leaders and luminaries, paving the way to progress your profit margin. Capitalize and compound your cannabis portfolio now on Cannabis Economy with your host, Seth Adler. Ryan Vandry, PhD. Dr. Vandry is Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins. His research focuses on the behavioral pharmacology of cannabis, among other things. Welcome to Cannabis Economy. I'm your host, Seth Adler. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and our new YouTube channel with the handle Can Economy. That's two ends of the word economy. Or visit the website cecono.me for the over 125-episode catalog, including the Charlotte's Web episode 121 with Charlotte's mother, Paige Figgy, and uh, Realm of Caring's Heather Jackson. Heather is who introduced us to Dr. Bandry, and he lets us know what he's doing with them on researching the plant, Dr. Ryan Bandry. We have PhD Ryan Bandry. Uh, from Johns Hopkins uh, Bayview Medical Center, who does research with cannabis. How accurate is that, Ryan? That's pretty accurate. Uh, Technically, I'm in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the School of Medicine. Aha. Okay. So I think a website needs to be updated, but uh, you are absolutely somebody that we want to talk to. Um, You're doing research uh, now. Uh, and we appreciate it, and we'll get into the fact that you also have done uh, research uh, with cannabis. So let's uh, let's first start, talk about what you are doing right now uh, as far as uh, research in cannabis. Okay, so I have multiple projects going on like any good scientist would. Um, uh, one of my, my main things that I'm looking at in the laboratory right now, and I'll Let me actually go backwards. So I do a combination of controlled laboratory experiments, clinical trials, and um, getting into more exploratory survey research. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the laboratory, which is where I spend most of my time, uh, I've been working on a series of experiments that are uh, trying to characterize Uh, the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic effects of uh, cannabis when administered through different routes of administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, we've done a handful of studies that involve uh, smoked cannabis administration over the years. Uh, The last two years, we run two studies where we looked at dose effects of edibles, uh, and we're about to launch another study where we're going to be com- uh, comparing directly vaporization to smoked cannabis administration. Okay. So uh, let's kind of uh, make sure that we all understand what you're talking about. So as far as the, the pharmacomechanics, did I hear you say that correct? Or did pharmacokinetics you say- and pharmacodynamics. Okay. So those Dynamic. are fancy words yeah. for two things. Pharmacokinetics is what happens to the drug when you uh, ingest it, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically what we look at there is evaluating how long the uh, drug stays in your body, uh, at what levels Mm -hmm. it stays in, how it's metabolized, and you look at that over time. Okay. 
And then the pharmacodynamic piece is the effects. So what do you feel subjectively? Uh, does it affect your performance in terms of cognitive abilities in any way? Mm -hmm. uh, those types of things. Okay. So uh, so, so what it gives you is a, it gives you a snapshot of what uh, the – the, the entire experience of uh, receiving the drug is. And then you can look to correlate um, levels of the drug or its metabolites in blood or in urine or in spit with the corresponding subjective effects and performance effects and cardiovascular effects that happen. Okay, so you can uh, truly, really uh, get a... Um, uh definite understanding of exactly what's happening. Yeah, and the reason that that's important is because most of the research that's been done has been focused on smoking as a route of administration. Mm -hmm. Now, with the onset of you know legal access and an actual commercial retail marketplace for cannabis mm -hmm. uh, in half of the U.S., you're seeing capitalism at its best where people are trying to find new and novel ways and novel products and exploring different routes of administration. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's all fine and good, but it causes issues when you're trying to uh, understand the science of what's happening and how to make recommendations about dosing and how to uh, you know, understand uh, in, say, for forensic cases, for example, how to interpret, you know, the behavior that you're observing with the blood levels of a drug that you're measuring. Okay. Uh, so one of the one of the really interesting outcomes that we found with the edible research is that uh, well, I want to I want to stop you. I want to stop you. Before okay. Edibles. Sorry. You know, no, that's fine. Uh, we we kind of want to make sure that we cover everything. And so you sure. know, you 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 did mention uh, most of the research that has been done has uh, been done on uh, smoked cannabis. So uh, let's now take the opportunity to talk about when you first uh, started to do research on smoked cannabis. Sure. When was that? Uh, yeah, well, so I, I mean, my, my initial research started in graduate school at the University of Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, what year uh, was that? My, uh, that was in 2000. Okay. And my, my mentor up there, Alan Budney, uh, was just getting started with uh, two lines of research. One was developing treatments for uh, people trying to quit using uh, cannabis. Mm -hmm. And the other was uh, evaluating and trying to characterize cannabis withdrawal. Mm -hmm. At that time, uh, most people did not believe that cannabis withdrawal exists. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, to, to this day, there are still some holdouts, but we were able to conduct a series of, of pretty elegant studies that showed uh, very clearly that if you're a heavy cannabis user and you stop abruptly, mm -hmm. a constellation of withdrawal symptoms emerges, and it looks a lot like tobacco withdrawal. That was going to and be my so, question. Yeah, so you know, it's not the you know the vomiting and shaking that you see with 
uh, you know, opiate or alcohol withdrawal. It's not life-threatening in any way, mm-hmm. but it is there, and it causes individuals discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to kind of demonstrate that Cannabis withdrawal is real. Here's what it looks like. And and it is a barrier to people who want to quit from being able to do so in some cases. Okay. Um, as far as uh, if we are going to take the uh, tobacco example, um, as far as pharmacokinetics, as far as pharmacodynamics, uh, what are the similarities between cannabis? And go back to that study, please. Uh, in you know, 15, 16 years ago, uh, what are the similarities and differences between tobacco and cannabis? If we understand that there are similarities in terms of quitting and withdrawal, what about uh, actual use? Yeah, well, I mean, they're both smoked predominantly, mm-hmm. um, and we have you know kind of comparable markets emerging with the use of vaporization with e-cigarettes and vape pens and things like that. Right, which we'll get to. Um, Pharmacologically, the drugs are very different, Uh Um, although there is some interaction between the endogenous systems that that receive and modulate the effects of those two drugs. So um, nicotine acts through acetylcholine nicotinic uh, receptor system, and, you know, the primary psychoactive or uh, biologically active components of cannabis uh, modulate the endocannabinoid system. Right. Uh, Those two have some crosstalk, but by and large, the effects of the drugs are are pretty different. Okay. Uh, the time course of effects are very different. So cannabis effects usually last a bit longer than than nicotine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, when you look at the withdrawal symptoms, they're similar both mm-hmm. in type and magnitude. Yeah. Uh, but that it, but that extends beyond just those two substances. So mm-hmm. most of before, the symptoms yeah, before of withdrawal. We go to, before we go to other substances, you, you mentioned a couple times that the effects are uh, extremely different. Um, you know, you mentioned psychoactivity as far as cannabis is concerned. How you know, in what other ways? Uh, and what I am trying to do, uh, I guess, in, in a heavy-handed way, um, is to ask you to tell us good things about cannabis and bad things about tobacco. Well, I'm not going to do that because I don't have that type of agenda. Indeed. Um, yeah. So uh, that's not my mission. My right. mission is to study the science and present facts in a fairly objective way. Indeed. And when you look at both substances, there are positives and negatives with both. And it would be silly to focus only on one versus the other. Right. But as far as those effects are concerned, and now that we've kind of let the cat out of the bag, we understand your point of view, we understand my point of view. Uh, can you give us just a little bit more uh, detail on the difference of the effects of uh, cannabis and tobacco? Uh, well, sure. I mean, so each one is plant-derived, and there's a primary psychoactive component of each that kind of drives behavior. For cannabis, it's THC. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the cannabinoid system is, you know, 
widely spread throughout the body, and as a result, cannabis has a number of different effects. It helps modulate appetite and memory and mood and uh, reinforcement and pain and all kinds of stuff that I'm sure you and your listeners are well-versed in. Um, you know, and nicotine is the primary driving component of the behavior of tobacco use, so it's a reinforcing drug, same as THC. Mm-hmm. So the common there is that both of them uh, stimulate the release of dopamine in our brain's pleasure center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's common, again, across all drugs of abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's that commonality that I think drives the similarity in withdrawal symptoms that you see across the two substances. Uh, so yeah. what you tend to see is when people use a rewarding drug – Uh, doesn't really matter what it is. You Mm -hmm. get benefit and you get pleasure from it. Uh, and when you, uh, when you, uh, use that repeatedly, your body adjusts to having that substance on board. When you look at patterns of heavy tobacco use and patterns of heavy cannabis use, again, these are folks that smoke either substance daily, usually multiple times a day. Right. Uh, and so your body adjusts to that uh, behavior. And when you stop that abruptly, you know, your body tries to revert back to, you know, it's, it's not at its normal functioning level. And so you've altered the biochemistry of your body and the end result is, well, you get agitated, you get restless, you have a hard time sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, your body has to change back and adjust to the drug not being there. Time to converge listeners to our product and service supplying sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Commercial consumption completed. Now back to Cannabis Economy, only on CannabisRadio.com. Here's Seth Adler. So, uh, if not dealing with a medical issue, uh, you know, such as 
uh, Crohn's or epilepsy or, um, you know, uh, kind of counterbalancing uh, chemo treatments. Uh, if we're talking about adult-use cannabis, um, you know, the recommendation here is moderation. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, and you know, I think that the, you bring up a very good and valid point. Uh, an individual's uh, purpose or motivation for use is important in the development of uh, addiction. Uh-huh. And and that is absolutely true for cannabis as it is true for other drugs of abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, so you... when you're using for medical necessity, yeah, uh, it's different than using to cope with a rough life. Okay, good. And uh, because you use that phrase "drugs of abuse" a couple times, uh, you know, in your mind, is there a separation? It sounds like there is between medical use and uh, and adult use. Uh, um, uh, it's an interesting word, abuse. Why, you know, uh, why do you choose that word, I guess? Well, because that's typically what you end up seeing is the pattern of use becomes maladaptive for the person. That's mm-hmm. kind of how we define abuse or misuse or addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and, and that really is the driving uh, um, de- or the operating definition that has to come with that type of connotation and that label. So you could have two individuals that use a particular substance, and we'll use cannabis in, in this example, sure. at exactly the same pattern and frequency and amount. Mm-hmm. But one person is using it to mitigate uh, excruciating pain, and one person is using it to get high and to um, to escape reality and not deal with their problems. We, we would, you and I would and, disagree on that uh, point, but we will kind of leave it and, and move on to, uh, to, yeah, to, to but, the next but, point. But, but, yeah. the, but the thing is, is, yeah. is if you're using it to, as an avoidance, as a coping mechanism to coping, avoid right. reality well, and to, and to, and to, um, and to avoid responsibilities yeah. and it's causing problems in your life rather than helping you. Yeah then that becomes an issue. That becomes a problem. And, and, and that's again, how we define misuse of a drug. Yeah, sure. So, totally understood. I think that uh, for the rest of the um, interview, you and I should av- avoid uh, uh, adult use and, and really just uh, uh, get to the science at hand uh, because we have different opinions on um, what well, we would use different words, uh, I think. is uh, Avoiding reality is not a phrase that I would ever uh, use in terms of uh, cannabis, it is one that you are using. That is fair. Uh, that is your uh, right. Uh, let's make sure that we understand who we're talking to. We just got through uh, kind of smoked uh, cannabis in your initial study and withdrawal. Um, you are a PhD. When uh, you were up uh, in Vermont, are you from Vermont? Is that where you're originally from? No, I'm an army brat. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm from where I am. Right now I'm from Baltimore. <laughs> right. That's what all the army brats say. So right now you're from Baltimore. Uh, what um, I guess what states and countries uh, did you experience, uh, you know, uh, in your formative years? Uh, I spent a lot of time in Germany. Uh-huh. Uh, I was born in Texas, but I don't claim to be a Texan because I was only there for eight weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, spent time in Philadelphia, North Carolina, Kansas, Delaware, Vermont, and Maryland. Right. Amazing. Uh, what service uh, was uh, either your dad or mom in? Uh, Army. Okay. And was that your dad or mom? That was my father for right. 23 years. Wow. 
uh, and thank uh, thank you uh, to him for his service. I will pass along that regard. All right, so he's still around. Oh yeah. All right. And what did you kind of take uh, from him? It's a uh, a very interesting upbringing. Uh, we've spoken to a number of uh, folks uh, who grew up the way that you did. I certainly didn't. Um, what was the uh, kind of the the theme or the message or the the key lesson that you took from your dad uh, growing up? Uh, well, just. Uh, being proactive, taking responsibility for, you know, what you're doing and, and your actions and, uh, and, you know, being a leader when you need to be a leader, I think is, is what I got out of that. Right. Uh, kind of, uh, try to be as, uh, as open-minded as possible. And if you have to grab the bull by the horns, go ahead and do so, please. Absolutely. And, all, you know, growing up in that environment, you're also forced to learn very quickly to adapt. Yeah. Uh, which I think is important too, um, you know, because you know every two to three years we were changing schools and leaving friends and finding new ones and learning a new culture and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's played a really, really, really important uh, uh, role in defining who I am as a person now. Once you did learn to adapt, what were some of the kind of uh, key tricks that you used in a new environment up, uh, on the way in? Oh, you know, I I don't even know how to answer that one. To be perfectly honest, I mean, you you, you got to listen, you gotta you gotta be social, you gotta talk to people, and and not be scared. Right. And you gotta try new things. So, uh, when did you decide that uh, this was kind of something that you thought you were going to do? Where did you go undergrad? Uh, was, was that in Vermont as well, or no? No, undergrad was at the University of Delaware. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I didn't have a very strong sense of what I wanted to do there. Mm -hmm. Um, I started out as a biology major but didn't like it at all and ended up going into psychology because I had friends that said it was really fun. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) um, at at the end of, of undergrad, I had a degree in psychology and decided that I wanted to try to find a job that utilized that degree. I didn't really know what, but my favorite class was a psychopharmacology class. It was a class about drugs in the brain. Hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a job uh, here at Johns Hopkins at the Behavioral Pharmacology Research Unit as a research assistant. And when and was that? How far back? That was 1998. Oh, boy. Okay, so right and, out of school. Uh, yeah, right out of school, and I worked here for two and a half years, and you know I helped conduct the types of experiments that I now design. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience here was amazing. I worked on studies that involved evaluation of cocaine and heroin and alcohol and tobacco and benzodiazepine sedative drugs and again uh, doing the types of laboratory experiments that I do now yeah. uh, every everything but cannabis and uh, I loved the work and I asked the professors that I worked for here you know what do I need to do to do what you do for a living yeah. and so they said you got to go to grad school and here's a list <laughs> um, 
And so the, you know, Vermont was in terms of locations of other schools far and above the most attractive place to be. Sure. Uh, so I was lucky enough again to find a position up there and the person who had a position, who had an opening for a graduate student was Alan and he was studying cannabis. And mm -hmm. so uh, I kind of started with that and never turned back. Alan Budney, uh, a fantastic name to, to study cannabis. Um, it's got Bud right in the name there. Uh, yeah. I just have two questions, though, on what we just discussed. Uh, first, as far as your interest, it doesn't sound like you were a, um, uh, a drug enthusiast. <laughs> um, why do you think that it was interesting to you? Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's really interesting work. And mm -hmm. when you look at drugs and they're, they do so many different things, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have – and there's so much to learn and, and know about. And so that's one of my real – why I've stuck with cannabis is mm -hmm. that, I mean, there's been such a lag with controlled research with cannabis that – there's literally a million questions to answer. Right. I've, I've got 10 lifetimes worth of studies to do. Yeah. That brings uh, me to that second. And I'm excited second, about it. Yeah. That brings me to that second question, which is um, the fact that you did not study cannabis. Um, you know, get into why. Initially, uh, well, undergrad. Initially, yeah. I didn't have any decision on what I did. Got I it. worked on projects that people had. Mm -hmm. uh, so what the work that I did and the studies that I was involved with were dictated to me. Mm -hmm. um, but they were they were incredibly valuable. The scientists that I worked with here um, are some of the founding uh, um, scientists of the entire field of behavioral pharmacology. Mm -hmm. And so... I have a really unique training background and was able to put the the scientific method that we used in studying cocaine and opioids and alcohol and put that to task with understanding cannabis. Mm -hmm. Time to converge listeners to our product and service supplying sponsors. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have, you just... 
clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Commercial consumption completed. Now back to Cannabis Economy, only on CannabisRadio.com. Here's Seth Adler. Uh, what are the similarities and differences we uh, did uh, tobacco? Uh, what about alcohol? Compare and contrast. Uh, completely different animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, with the exception that they are rewarding uh, uh, substances. Mm-hmm. People like to take them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they have it, desire that, in that's, common. That's the commonality. Yeah. People like to take them. They find it rewarding, and it alters your state of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, there's not a ton of overlap there. Uh, totally understood. What What uh, are some of the uh, differences that you find interesting? <sighs> I mean, that's the, the differences are are. I mean, there are so many. Right. I mean, completely different uh, behavioral profile, conti- completely different way of measuring uh, the uh, the effects and and measuring drug levels. So mm-hmm. you know, alcohol is really unique in that you have the drug in your breath, and so you know, you have your roadside breathalyzer as a test to determine whether a person is acutely intoxicated or not. Mm-hmm. You don't have that for any other drug. Right. And so it's interesting because a lot of the, the – not to try to get you sidetracked again, but a lot of the research that you know I'm doing in the laboratory, uh, people are very interested in because they're trying to find – really hard to find some way of measuring whether or not somebody's intoxicated uh, on cannabis on the roadside. Mm-hmm. But you it's interesting because on the one hand, I think that that would be valuable information to have, but you don't hear people, people clamoring for a breathalyzer for other drugs that yeah. could impair people's driving. Indeed. So we have it for alcohol, and it's very interesting and, and useful that you have it, mm-hmm. but you don't really have it for anything else. But there's a, an immense amount of effort and an immense amount of interest in developing something comparable for cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably because that it's driven by the fact that so many people use cannabis versus other substances in terms of a reckless driving type scenario but i think it's a little bit interesting that that there's such interest in and such a pressure to come up with something to detect cannabis on the roadside uh but not for benzodiazepines or opiates or hallucinogens for that matter right uh you did mention as far as measurement uh blood urine you said spit i wonder why uh just as a sidetrack uh why you use the word spit not saliva because uh, I'm not a very formal kind of person Fair in most enough. cases. <laughs> but those are those are the three uh, ways I, we could I, measure I, cannabis. Is that right or no? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the proper term is oral fluid. That's oh. the preferred term among the toxicology community. Interesting. That's also the name of uh, the band I played in in college. <laughs> Ryan, uh, really appreciate you, your time. Uh, really appreciate your work uh, and can't wait to talk to you again soon. How about that? All right. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Dr. Ryan Vandry. 
very much appreciated talking to him about uh, his research with the plant. Obviously, uh, that's the type of mind that we need to do the work that he's doing. Uh, also, uh, had a good time talking to him about uh, some punk rock. We continued the conversation uh, after we left you. Dr. Ryan Vandry, very much appreciate your time. Time to converge listeners to our product and service supplying sponsors. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.